1: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Limit Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. Joining me in studio today is Kevin Cry, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department Waterfowl Program Leader. Kevin, welcome back to the DU Podcast.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I've always enjoyed visiting with you guys and I'm more than happy to get on here and talk with y'all. And- as well as our hunters.
1: So before we before we get into the current habitat conditions and what hunters were kind of looking at right now, I know we're a little bit early in the season, but it's always good to get a preview. Um, let's talk about last season and how you guys kind of went into the season with some really good looking habitat in most of the state. And then it kind of fell off and everything kind of went stale and then in january it kind of picked up again for hunters um uh, that's kind yeah. of what i heard i mean i'm sure that you you probably heard very similar but you know how how does how did last season really shape up for texas waterfowl hunters
2: well ultimately it was um, a considerable decrease in our, our harvest estimates uh, somewhere around 40 percent decline in total numbers of ducks shot in texas uh from the previous season um and then the geese, you know, uh, about a 35% decline. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was um, pretty correlative to what we were hearing. Um, as you mentioned, um, things did pick up right there towards the end. Uh, we finally started getting some good cold fronts and, and, and new birds moving in. Um, that really helped bolster things, but um, by and far it was, you know, pretty frustrating for a lot of people. I mean, we had, you know, Texas, like you just mentioned, we have, you know, it's, it's almost like five different states when you start thinking about the diversity of the state from north, south, east, west. Um, and so being able to blanketly make a comment about, you know, everybody's uh, hunting uh, across the state is very difficult. Um, it changes as you move around the state. And then, yeah, you know, there were, part, there were portions of the state that, uh, you know, just basically never had any good habitat, um, throughout most of the year. Um, and then there was, you know, as usual, there's always some that that do and some that have very successful seasons. So it's, um, one of those things, but as a whole, I think we were, uh, I know we were uh, down quite a bit from the previous season.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think that's kind of what I heard just kind of, you know, through the grapevine, some people that I talked to down in South Texas, and then there's a couple in North Texas where, um, you know, very similar. It slowed down, then it kind of picked up at the end. Everyone seemed to be happy with the season, just based on the last couple of weeks. You know, it was like right. you know, the that stale December was out of out of sight, out of mind right. by the time they got some some fronts and and kind of shifted things around. But you know, moving into this season, I think this is probably a good thing to do for our audience to get, like you mentioned, just a better understanding of the different habitat types throughout the state of Texas. And we've done this before on the podcast, you know, a couple of years ago before our new listeners. I think it'd be a good idea for you to kind of break down the different regions throughout Texas, how you look at uh, waterfowl habitat throughout the entire state and how it's kind of broken down.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we actually fly our, our midwinter surveys and do our planning, and, you know, the, the 10,000 you know foot level look at the state, we break the state up into what we call ecoregions. And um, there's um, five or six of those um, throughout the state that, that we monitor and we're able to compare back, you know, uh, to previous year's uh, surveys and data and kind of get an idea, uh, a really good idea, if you will, of some distributional shifts and, and be able to track that. And those, those ecoregions are literally set out there type and so um like i said there's there's a, a wide variety of them and, and, and starting from the north going south um we have what we call the high plains also known as the texas panhandle and then you know the dominant uh, wetland feature and waterfowl feature in this and that landscape is is playa wetlands um very ephemeral shallow um uh, disks of water on the landscape that historically had uh, a lot of irrigation runoff uh, due to agricultural practices. And that, 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 that practice has changed dramatically in the way at which we deliver water more efficiently to crops up here. And so those those features, those wetland basins, um, now have to rely 100% on Mother Nature and um, to fill up. And it has to be a pretty substantial event. Uh, to fill those things up. We're not talking a half inch of rain to put water in these things. Sometimes you're talking four and five, six inches, which is, you know, some years is, you know, a quarter of our annual rainfall. So it takes a very substantial rain event to put water in in this landscape uh, and those playas. And so we've had a number of years now in a row where they've been very, very dry. Um, and That's been reflected uh, very strongly in our data associated with harvest of ducks and and just basically finding wetlands on the landscape. Geese up here are real adaptive, and they'll go straight to the city limits and hang out in city parks. And so they've kind of figured that game out. But ducks still rely on those wetlands. Uh, And as you move south and and a little east, we enter what we call the Rolling Plains. The Rolling Plains is basically, say, from Childress to uh, Fort Worth, um, down to San Angelo and Abilene. Uh, and it's great big big country, wide open country. Um, that the dominant feature on that landscape is uh, man-made ponds or stock ponds, um, and they're um, not insignificant. Um, there's so many of them; it's kind of impressive when you get up in the air and look at that landscape uh, from a duck's view. How much water is on that landscape? Uh, all those things were put there largely for, uh, you know, agricultural purposes. Some recreational, but. Um, you know, that's something that is new for the most part, especially to a duck's evolutionary process of having those those ponds on the landscape. And, you know, some years, uh, very interestingly, we, we've counted more ducks in the rolling plains than we have on the Gulf Coast. It's just because there's so much abundance of water, um, small ponds, very, very high densities in places up to seven per square mile. And then, you know, it's no secret, ducks don't like being shot at. So uh, when you couple, you know, abundance of fresh water in an area where there's little pressure, you know, birds will find those landscapes uh, pretty quickly, matter of fact. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that's a, a pretty unique rolling landscape with a bunch of uh, man-made ponds across it. And then as we go east from there, we have what we call uh, the Oakwoods and Blackland Prairie. That's basically Dallas down to Waco uh, and over to what i call the pine curtain deep east texas so it's kind of that transition from prairie into into forest uh, again very historically important area for waterfowl in texas definitely has a, uh, even higher abundance of stock ponds than the rolling plains you also start getting into a lot of reservoirs and creeks and rivers bottom line hardwoods flood plains um, and so that that landscape again driven by stock ponds but uh, when you get rain events and you start getting those flood events uh, that's what really really draws ducks to the northeast texas landscape um and last year we just didn't have any of those big flood events and so that really kind of hurt us in that regard so when you get the trinity river and the uh, sabine river and the sulfur river out of out of their banks and flooded off into those most those backwoods uh that's an attractant of monumental proportions we you can literally watch ducks arrive and as that flood event occurs and and so that's what really drives that landscape and we just haven't had a lot of those good timely flood events at the right time of year um in the last few years so uh, you know fingers crossed that that changes this year and it's a real draw for us in that in that landscape because there simply isn't any agriculture you know uh, outside of the playas on the panhandle and the gulf coast Really, in Texas, that is valuable for waterfowl. It's just the timing of harvest is off. Um, and so, um, you know, the ducks outside of the high plains and the Gulf Coast really got to make a, a living in the water at which they swim. You know, they're not flying out to cornfields, they're not flying out. Uh, to the milo or even peanut fields you know the peanut industry changed so much uh, there's just tiny pockets of peanuts left in the state of texas so those those water bodies are really where the birds have to make their living and so in, from there we move further east into in, into what we call um, the piney woods and it's just basically a sliver of, of uh, deep east texas uh, along the louisiana border largely driven by reservoirs and again some some floodplain rivers and things like that um it's just you know not traditionally a a a real ducky area uh, because it just is a um, a permanent water type scenario not a lot of uh, high value uh, productive wetlands in that landscape although there is a lot of water and it's very high rain uh, part of the state um it just there's just not a lot we don't count a lot of ducks in that landscape and so from there we go down uh, to what we call the gulf coast prairies and marshes and that's uh, everything for pretty much Beaumont, Texas, uh almost all the way down to Corpus christi um and then it, it goes inland, you know we're obviously dealing with our bays and estuaries and and marshes, and then inland to our um you know our famed, if you will uh, rice agricultural regions so uh this is um obviously arguably our most important waterfowl region in the state. that's where most of our hunters occur for most of our harvest occurs, and historically. It's uh, uh, one of the most important areas uh, in all of North America for wintering and migrating waterfowl. So this is a very high importance area for us. And, and we do a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of habitat delivery. Most of our public lands for waterfowl hunting that uh, the state uh, owns and operates are in this landscape. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a real important area for us. And uh, it, it definitely is a high priority. And from there, you kind of go over, what uh, we have this little bitty tiny piece called the uh, Sand Plain. It's um, a little uh, wetland or a little area just south of Corpus Christi and north of Brownsville um, that has some, oh, well, it's kind of almost in the brush country, but it has some uh, uh, isolated a playa, almost like wetlands, which, you know, when they're wet, are very good and very productive and they happen to be very wet right now. Uh, one of the few places we've had in state of texas it's, it has had a lot of rain this summer and and as of late is that that deep south texas birch country you get into the, the sand plain uh and our brush country ecoregion. that's our, our last one is the brush country and that's basically san antonio laredo south all the way to brownsville uh, very similar to the rolling plains um you know about the only water feature in that landscape is stock ponds man-made bodies of water that people put out there either for livestock or recreation and and when um you know it's it's wet in that landscape ducks really like it Uh, again very similar to the rolling plains there's um not a lot of pressure you know there's that landscapes there uh, for cows and bobwhite quail and and white-tailed deer so um those ducks like that the ducks like that uh that 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 refuge, if you will, of uh, being able to get out there and away from other ducks. You know that's that's one thing people don't think about much is once you get to a certain point in your your life cycle, your annual life cycle, and you pair with a mate, you don't want to be around other ducks. So you get real, uh, you know, you get you, you don't want your mate stolen, and so you're going to go off and hide, and that has huge impacts on duck behavior and, and hunter success, especially as you get later into the season. Uh, the the really really healthy. Ducks, especially hens that are, you know, have a lot of fat content and are working their way through their annual cycle and are dealing with molt and have paired, they're gonna they're gonna go off and hide and and not be gregarious at all. The last thing in the world they want to do is go land with a bunch of uh, plastic lookalikes. <laughs> so that's where those ponds really come into play. That later in that that season is as those birds begin to pair up and go through their molt they're going to leave some of those big, uh, more traditional areas like um, you know East Texas and the Gulf Coast to go hide literally out in those ponds and continue that, that pair bomb process in preparation for, for breeding. And so it's kind of a very important role and those ponds are are serving that, that role very well.
1: Hey, I think this is a great opportunity right here. We're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Kevin Cry. Before we get into this current state of habitat um, throughout Texas, kind of, let's do a little recap on, because we didn't have the, typically we've always had you on the week before your teal season opens and uh, time, yeah. t- time got away from us this year. And uh, But just kind of a wrap up on what you heard from the, you know, the early teal season there in Texas. Well, it was
2: definitely as usual in this big state. Um, it was uh, lots of uh, mixed reports. Yep. Um, there's um you know just prior to teal season uh, let's just kind of back up even further um april through um july was just pretty much horrendous across the state of texas this Mm -hmm. year Uh, extremely hot extremely uh windy um very very poor conditions for wetlands Um, now what's interesting about that is when you think about wetlands is they need a dry period uh so that they can you know grow foods i mean that's the stuff you're trying to to, to propagate to feed feed ducks later. So so that dry period is actually quite important. It's also very important for managers because you're able to get in there and do soil disturbance and maintenance and things like that that didn't, you know, when it's wet, you can't do. Mm-hmm. And so in reality we had a it was actually it's actually a good thing sometimes to have those really good dry periods to kind of reset things, reset the table. You know, speaking of East Texas, you know, one of the things that uh, is really important is that dry period throughout the summer because those reservoirs, you know, the majority of our public hunting is on public reservoirs in that landscape. And when those reservoirs are low during the summer months, the exposed shoreline is growing duck foods yeah. rapidly. And so, obviously, that's they just kind of turned them in themselves into giant moist soil units. That's what we call our management units where we're managing water levels to promote more uh, growth of food so all those reservoirs in east texas are acting as giant moist units as we speak uh, so all those reservoirs were way way low and um, lots of good terrestrial vegetation is growing up around the edges and you know right now we're just waiting for you know the, re- the, the refilling of them the, the flood to come back and fill it all back up and and put water back into those those back those back uh, uh, coves and whatnot, where all that food is. So, um, so that dry period actually is good. It is beneficial to, to ducks in, in a lot of ways. Um, August rolled around and things really started rapidly changing. Just prior to teal season, I think I gave two or three different interviews, and they were all wrong within, like, 24 hours. <laughs> That's how <laughs> so it works. Things were changing. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and what I'm going to say here today is going to be wrong probably in a week. Mm-hmm. So, either way, um, things rapidly changed, which, for the good, um, you know, we started getting really wet in a lot of areas. Uh, the High Plains, uh, the Panhandle, Lubbock and Amarillo area got water for the first time in a long time. And so, like, literally overnight, we have a, a, a numerous wet basin, Playa basins that, haven't seen water in years. Deep South Texas, Holy cow! it was very bad timing because we were trying to do a, um, a new research project on model ducks where we needed to trap a bunch and um, they got six to 700% above their normal rainfall south of san antonio to the mexican border holy moly. And just spread all of our ducks out yeah just spread all of our ducks out all over the landscape and just kind of ruined the project this year so uh but that did touch some parts of the gulf coast too mm-hmm. um just prior to the teal season people were really nervous they were not seeing teal habitat was poor and things changed so quick just literally overnight and um that that really helped things a lot so east texas got well dallas got one huge event probably i think it was a record event a rain event that um, the trinity river oddly flooded in a weird time of year very briefly and um and got out of its banks but i'm sure that helped some uh but we'd still need a lot of rain in northeast texas and that was a pretty isolated area where that rain fell too so um for the most part the uh, other than south texas you know, the Gulf Coast and the Payne Handle, it was pretty dry in Texas yeah. for teal season. So I suspect harvest will uh, reflect that when we get the numbers back. Um, Gulf Coast, our public lands uh, along the Gulf Coast itself saw some of the lowest success rates we've had in many, many years. Um, you know, we continued to be very crowded, uh, even turn away hunters on some of our public areas. But even with those those real timely rains just prior to the season, there was still... Um, you know, not as much habitat as we like, so yeah. we weren't able to hunt all the spots we normally get to hunt down there. But you go inland just a handful of miles, and you start getting into that rice country, and you start getting into some of those properties where where people are intensively managing. Yeah, uh, and have the luxury of of access to water and the luxury of being able to rotate things and uh, and, and hunt lightly. Um, they were having an unbelievable season or they had an unbelievable season yeah Uh, many many clubs many uh, leases had all-time record you know success and harvest so it's one of those little stories where it's just you know it depends on where you're at that day unfortunately it wasn't a blanket across the state excellent teal season yeah uh, but some certainly had some amazing teal hunting for sure.
1: And how did you hear from any of the guys who actually were hunting along the coast, like in the marshes out there? I mean, I, I know that can change one good weather event there can can help those guys yeah. out significantly and and they didn't really get it until almost a little too no. late, right?
2: Yeah, so no, they didn't, there, there was a, a little uptick there right at the last weekend of mm-hmm. the season, uh, but yeah, I mean you know, most of our properties we hunt Saturday Sunday and I'll always see a big drop off on that Sunday Yeah. and, um yeah it was like i said it was some of the lowest birds per hunter uh, on our our coastal wmas that we've seen uh, in many years so uh, conditions right along the coast in that marsh uh were not great for teal this year
1: you know and the and the interesting part of that is even some of the migration alert guys that i that the freelance riders that I have, I mean, they're in South Dakota, North Dakota. Some even spent some time in Canada last week and they're like, dude, there's still blue wings everywhere
2: up here. Yeah. So no, I'm hearing the same.
1: Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure that I'm most of your hunters down there have heard that story too, that, you know, maybe the conditions in the prairies or in the U S prairies were, were
2: significantly,
1: you know, so strong that maybe that kind of held those birds there for just a little longer that kind of put yeah. them out of play.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, all the way up until the last day, they were banning ducks and, and the Dakotas and Montana Uh, Which is, you know, well into September, Uh, they were still seeing blue wings. So I mean, that's technically not anything new. Mm -hmm. I know when I was flying white-fronted goose surveys in Canada. A few years back, um, we would always see blue wings, you yeah. know, all the way up until October there'd still be blue wings. So yeah, there's just a lot of blue wings. I mean there's millions of blue wings. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know you could, luckily there's lots of waves of them come and go and and um and we did. I mean we, we ultimately found out that production for blue wings was really good this year. So yeah. Uh, there was there's lots of young in that flock. Uh, one of the few species we have that did really, really well this year. So yeah. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of them and and um you know there were there were blue wings moving through here in, in middle of August, and there still will be. Come, you know, this week, and next week, probably. So, oh yeah, I think it's hard um, for. It's just kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of hard for um, someone who doesn't really have like a continental perspective. For, you know, because mm-hmm. guys down in South Texas are like, oh, we, we just picked up blue wings. Well, a guy in Oklahoma hears that and he's like, oh, Texas has got all blue wings. Well, in reality, there are blue wings right. from Saskatoon to, you know, probably yep. south of Texas uh, for that. Yeah. Matter, oh, yeah. No, they're,
2: they're 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 way south of Texas already. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah so, so they're, they're stretched out. They'll, they'll, they'll get all concentrated here real soon. Yeah. Uh, but that's one cool thing about blue wings is, you know, historically, there wasn't a lot of harvest. Uh, availability, uh, after teal season. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some of the southern states, especially Texas, they're becoming our bread and brother duck throughout the season. So that historically they would, they would, they would vacate Texas even. They'd go further south into Mexico and South America, um, all of them. And we just wouldn't see blue wings during the regular season. And now we're seeing, uh, blue wings throughout the entire regular season on, along the Texas coast almost every year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd take that as a bonus. If I, you know, if I was down there, that oh, would yeah. be a good thing. Uh,
2: so well, I mean they're they're uh, not only abundant down there but they're also beautiful they start getting the colors and, yep. and so they're they're kind of a trophy for sure.
1: Um, so going into you know like I said I mentioned earlier we are a little early here you know we're first week of October here you know looking at kind of a preview for regular season waterfowl in Texas. We are just a tidbit early, but kind of give us an overview of how the habitat conditions have kind of come together, even after those, you know, like you mentioned, you got some water uh, just before teal season in some areas, but how's it all looking right now?
2: Well, kind of like I said earlier, right before teal season, um, I gave a you know, a, a crystal ball view And a few days later it changed um, And so I'm sure it'll do the same here But things have already changed a lot yeah. Since teal season uh, Or at least while teal season was e- even going on So like I said, August was amazing August was one of the nicest, wettest, coolest August I ever remember, which is pretty rare mm-hmm. uh for Texas to say the least. And um and basically everything completely changed uh when September rolled around. It got very, very warm again and hot <laughs> in oh. most places and then it really hasn't rained anywhere in the state yeah. in the entire month of September. And so things have really gone downhill again uh, for wetland conditions, uh, to say the least. So even deep, deep Southeast Texas where, you know, we have 50 plus inches of rain. Uh, I don't know if they got an inch of rain in the month of September. Oh, wow. So, um, it's, uh, we're, we're way, way behind rainfall for the month of, of September. Uh, and then, you know, looking at long-term forecasts across the state, um, there's, there's just essentially no chances of preset with the, with the small exception of the, the, the panhandle has a a pretty good chance of rain for the next few days. So uh, precip is just basically unheard of right now uh, in in the forecast for the state of Texas. And that's a big area. So um, again, um, things are looking down to say the least people are going to, you know, like I was talking about earlier, those guys that uh, intensively manage, they're going to have to turn their pumps back on or somehow get canal water again, because things are, are, are looking pretty bad now. That can all change very Yeah, I was quickly. gonna
1: say, well, you know, you said <laughs> and obviously we hope it does. <laughs> yeah, you knew you know it's gonna change. So maybe that's for the better yeah, that you yeah. say, Oh, it's not looking very well, yeah, good. I,
2: yeah, no, I think I think that's me. I mean it's it, I think I'm I'm the one that turns on the water the water <laughs> machine when I start speaking gloom and doom. So anyway, no, it's uh we definitely need it. Right now the uh about the only water we have available for for migrating, migrating wintering waterfowl is, you know, man made stuff. Yeah. Um, you no know, more permanent waters, ponds, reservoirs, uh, that's the, the, the water we have available to them. Um, our marshes are very, very uh, salty right now. Yeah. Uh, Salinity levels are through the roof. So we didn't grow lots of good foods in our marshes uh, like we like when you have good freshwater inputs uh, regularly. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, those type of conditions are going to greatly impact hunting success if something doesn't change pretty soon. Yeah.
1: And exactly, you know, just to give people an idea and even, you know, you can judge it by region. Like what does it take to improve, you know, like the, you know, tiny woods area, like those reservoirs, is it, is it going to take a, you know, seven inch rain, you know,
2: to, to make oh, a yeah. difference?
1: Yeah. Okay. I just wanted you to kind of clarify.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the other thing is you're obviously talking soil moisture is very, very low. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> these are wetlands, they're, they're clay soils. Um, and so those are shrink swell soils. So for rain events to uh, start having significant impact and start ponding the water uh, and, lake levels to rise and for rivers to flood, you're going to need a lot of rain just to close the cracks in the ground. Yeah. (laughs) So it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. You know, those, the perfect scenarios, those long, you know, drippy week long type events, you know, slowly close the cracks and then things start filling up. But yeah, it's, it's going to take an extreme weather change to really start ponding water on this landscape i've seen it over and over again um, by the time we get to december or january you know the state is wet as can be and there's water everywhere and sheet water and things like that so that's kind of what our hope is right now that that, that event and multiple events occur the, the last thing in the world we want is some kind of a nasty storm coming out of the gulf so yeah um luckily we've been able to knock on wood there this so far um, so but yeah this is a uh, We just need some good call fronts that big low pressure systems with them and bring lots of rain and and new ducks regularly.
1: And that's, you know, so that's what, you know, Texas waterfowlers should be kind of eyeballing that forecast for is, you know, really looking for those multiple back to back to back systems that will drench that whole region and, and the, yes. the whole state, for that matter, yes. sounds like you need it. Uh, before I get you out of here, one quick question, though. You mentioned your midwinter surveys. When do you do those?
2: Typically the first week of January, uh, you know, weather depend- okay. weather permitting, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we do those every year around January. And By the time we get surveys completed and, and data analyzed and summarized, um, unfortunately, it's right around the end of duck season before we get that information out. But uh yeah, but yeah, that's that's when we do it every year.
1: I think we did the show last year in February, I think, kind of your wrap yeah. up of your guys' it was like yeah. the first week of February by the time we were able to get mm-hmm. get you on here. And uh, yeah. we'll definitely plan on doing that again for sure.
2: No, absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a good time to to talk and talk about the season and compare to what our data showed. And so yeah, that's that'd be a great time to get back together.
1: And before we get you out of here, is there anything else that you will kind of want to mention to, you know, Texas waterfowlers
2: this year? like I said, we're we're just hoping that we get some different weather. I mean, it's it's ironic as soon as we say that, uh, we'll probably be saying there's too much water. So (laughs) so we're like farmers these days. So, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things that I wish every corner of the state had excellent duck hunting. Obviously, it's just so big and so vast and and ducks have wings for a reason. They're going to go wherever they can get. To find the resources they need and not be disturbed and so that's yep. what we're seeing you know when we talk about our midwinter data and those distributional shifts uh it is blair- it's blatantly glaring of an example of ducks wanting to be away from humans as you could possibly imagine so um yeah i mean i, I know it's hard to do but uh, pressure pressure changes everything and you know when people hunt one spot and hunt it regularly they're gonna get frustrated that's for sure like yeah birds are not going to put up with it anymore and so that just changes the way people hunt that's for sure
1: well yeah no I think we kind of look at Texas especially with the weather that they need is just kind of a typical waterfowlers' optimism is needed yeah and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go ahead and go into the season with it like that I think that's great yeah for sure well cool kevin i appreciate you taking the time to join us today um i think any all you know waterfowlers throughout the state and then other states surrounding uh, can definitely benefit from from listening to this and just kind of hearing what the conditions are like and what's needed to really improve those habitat conditions in texas yeah anytime
2: chris really enjoy
1: it all right thanks a lot kevin thank you I'd like to thank my guest, Kevin Cry, for coming on and giving a full overview of kind of Texas habitat conditions, a look back at teal season, and really what's needed to improve those habitat conditions across the state. I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and supporting wetlands conservation.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DUPodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks.